Hello and welcome to the Q York podcast. It's great to have you with us today and we hope that as you listen, you'll be inspired as we continue on our shared quest together. This podcast is entirely free and yet it's not cheap to put together and wouldn't be possible without the generosity of our supporters. So if you consider yourself a supporter of Q, then please head to qyork.co.uk and hit donate to show your support today because there really is no Q without you. Thank you and enjoy today's message. I want to bring to you a principle that's helped me tremendously um, in the years since I first uncovered it and saw it so clearly. Uh, Some would say it hasn't helped me enough. Some would say I've not engaged with it enough in recent times and I would probably agree with you but let this serve as a reminder of what I think is a wonderful principle. I call it the Judas Principle. And uh, it surrounds the, the, uh, the context of this Bible character who was a disciple of Jesus known as Judas Iscariot. Now, what's interesting is that um, uh, the term Judas has been incorporated into the language of the English-speaking world and is understood by, by numbers of people that if you say a person is a Judas, what they understand immediately you mean he's a betrayer. Um, uh, so it's become that common and it all comes from these few references in the Gospels to uh, this guy Judas Iscariot. M- many years ago I saw so clearly that the references to Judas in the Gospels seem to be pointing to an allegorical, metaphorical principle which could have a far-reaching effect on how we frame the contradictions of life, particularly in respect to betrayals and we've all experienced contradictions and betrayals and often the two tied together uh, within how we have viewed and understood life, uh, contradictions and betrayals. Now there's a guy called Bishop John Shelby Spong who is a tremendous teacher, he's retired now, he's an older guy, I don't always agree with his conclusions on everything, my wife thinks he's amazing and sometimes I wish our conversations on some of the things he says along with other things we recorded over the table in our kitchen so that you could have a listen in to what it is that we um, talk about and and um, uh, get a little heated about at times, but hopefully find some revelation within. Uh, Bishop Spong is one of the uh, foremost minds and exponents of, of questioning um, uh, the literal interpretation of scripture. Now whether you agree or not, uh, he's worth a listen because he, he, he puts a wonderful case and um, gives, gives some wonderful frameworks of how we might look at scripture in some different ways and understand what it's saying beyond the words, which is a, a big theme of mine that I've taught you about. Anyway, John uh, Shelby Spong, uh, in, in respect of Judas Iscariot, he suggests and proposes that Judas Iscariot never really existed as a person, that he is a literary character rather than a literal character. And that he was written into the gospel narrative as a result of the tension that was happening in the first century between Judaistic Jews and Christian Jews and the conflict because, you know, one group 
uh, holding on to the old Judaistic ways and the law of Moses. The other group proposing Jesus as the Messiah that was promised. And uh, most of the Christians at that time were Jews anyway. So you had this conflict going on. And uh, it's into this that he suggests that, that Judas Iscariot uh, was created as a literary character uh, in order to to achieve something, accomplish something in the context of this, this tension, but also written in as a kind of a code to the Christian Jew who would understand immediately what the message was through the use of this name. Um, because the name Judas, of course, is the is our the way we in English write the Greek translation of the Hebrew Judah. So Judah becomes Judas and we, we write it, read it as Judas. And of course Judah is the, um, is the, is the originator of the word Jew, of, of framing it as Jew, uh, Judah, Jew. And of course um, uh, um, Iscariot was a betrayer, was a traitor. And so, uh, you know, he, this kind of written, and he would suggest it's a kind of a code to these people of, of Judah, Judas, Judah, Jew, traitor, Jew, traitor, that Jew, Judas was the expression of the betrayal of the Jews of the, of the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. Uh, and and in, in putting Judas Iscariot into the story where he did, Jew traitor, he's suggesting that that clearly then was placing the blame for Jesus' death on the, in the hands of the Jews and not the Romans through this figure, uh, Judas Iscariot. And, and maybe at that time it was, uh, you know, some may have been looking for favour from the Romans. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, so that that's what... Spong suggests now he, he may be right, uh, he may not be, but but I see a more personal allegory that suggests perhaps through this thing that we can view the many betrayals in life through a different lens. Um, within the dynamic of life, we often find ourselves facing challenging contradictions. What if these arise to alert us to the presence of a greater reality than the one we currently embrace? What if the betrayals, the unfulfilled expectations, the abandonments, the contradictions, what if they arise to alert us to the presence of a greater reality than the one we currently embrace? If we resist them, if we fight them, if we refuse to engage with them, then we never come to the greater reality that I believe all of us want, look for and desire, but our rigidity of sticking to familiarity and learned behaviour um, inoculates us and immunises us against our ability to take these challenging contradictions and allow them to alert us to this presence of this greater reality than the one we currently embrace. And I'm asking you today not to let familiarity and learned behaviour prevent you from doing that. And I think in the practical level, this story of Judas exists to try and prise us out of that way of thinking and drop us into a new way of thinking that will allow us to prosper in a different way. So here's what begins to unfold itself to me. Okay, use a little scripture here. John chapter 6, verse 70 and 71. 
Then Jesus replied, have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is the devil, just take that accuser, adversary. And he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who though one of the twelve would later to betray him. So we've got this clarification going on here that, Ju that, that Judas Iscariot was one of the twelve who would later betray him, who was in the core an accuser, an adversary, but was chosen. So why choose somebody like that? Why is that even in the narrative and why would that be something that Jesus might do? Well, let's move on to John chapter 12 and verse 1 through 6. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, this keeps coming up, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's Wages. Now, now you're going to see in a minute how he was uh, he was virtue signaling. Verse six. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Now, here's the fascination for me from John six. Have I not chosen you? So, we are have implied to us that Jesus, with some knowledge chose a guy who he knew ultimately would be a betrayer. And not only that, but actually chose to make the treasurer of the organisation someone who he knew to be a thief and would steal from the money bag, from the account. So if he was prepared to deliberately and specifically appoint a thief to be the treasurer, what was the point that was being made here. This is why I say there's an allegorical, metaphorical principle that's amazing. Why did Jesus choose someone he knew to be a thief, to be the treasurer of his organization? I would suggest to you, because the lesson here is, look, let's make this thief the treasurer so that you can come to an understanding that there is a source greater than the thief that whatever comes into life that is a betraying spirit, that is an accusing, adversarial, betraying, thieving thing from the purse of your life, there is a greater source that means that the ability of the thief to steal from you cannot overwhelm or be greater than the ability and willingness of the source to give to you and provide for you. This is the lesson that's going on here, which is a fascinating lesson that we need to get a hold of and need to understand. Deliberately done to show us that the thief cannot steal at a greater measure than the source can provide into the situation. So don't fear the thief because we can get so obsessed with aspects of life, not realizing that sometimes that contradiction that occurs in our life, that betrayal that comes through the contradiction, 
are actually existing because they're alerting us to the presence of a greater reality than the one we currently embrace. And a lot of success in life is about what you are alerted to, the presence of in your life. And what you're alerted to as the presence of in your life will determine where your faith actually goes or where your faith disappears. So it goes a little further. So uh, Matthew 14 verse 10, then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve chosen, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus uh, to them. And you think, well, after Jesus doing all he'd done and covering for him, why would he do that? But then betrayals are like that, aren't they? You know, you think, why did that person, that friend, that one who I love, why did they betray me? It happens, okay? We have these Judases in our life. And they were delighted to hear that he was willing to betray his friend. And there are always those who will be delighted. And they promised to give him money, uh, which was really ringing his bell. Because sadly, there are people in life and in our lives who, for a particular type of reward will not engage in any kind of integrity in the context of their association or attachment to you, uh, but will quite happily, what seemingly is such a contradiction to you, uh, become the one who betrays you. Um, and then, of course, we move to the story of the Last Supper from there. So John 13, verse 27, 28. As soon as Judas took the bread, when Jesus broke the bread and gave the wine, uh, um, Satan... The, the accuser, the adversary entered into him. That came to the surface. And Jesus said, what you're about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. So Jesus knew, it would appear from the narrative, which is important to convey to us, knew what he was going to do and said, look, just get on with it. Just go and do it. Now, why would Jesus be so keen to do that? And why would John be so keen to put into the text that Jesus wanted to say to Judas, what you're about to do, do it quickly. Because Jesus was not afraid of what Judas was about to do. Because likewise, as with the money bag and him being made treasurer, Jesus did not feel or believe that what Judas could do to betray him could actually stop the process of what he had come to be to do and who he had come to be so so he says just get on with it just go do it um and so he did uh and i've always had a, a little struggle with the whole issue of the garden of gethsemane where judas comes with the armed men and he says the one that i kiss is jesus and it's like but if Jesus was such an insurrectionist as they believed and, he, and the temple authorities were after him and he'd been walking the streets and doing all kinds of stuff and they'd been aware of him for three and a half years, why the heck does it need Judas to kiss him on the cheek for them to know which one's Jesus? I mean, it's not like Jesus was hiding somewhere. Um, but I believe the narrative, and this is why sometimes you think Spong might have a point, but the narrative is pushing us to say this is a necessity, not so that the Jewish authorities could spot who Jesus was, but it's a necessity so you can understand a certain process connected and attached to contradiction and betrayal. And that process is this. What happened then was that Jesus was taken and obviously he was crucified. And then we have the resurrection story of new beginnings, of rising from the dead, of what was dead and finished now rises in newness of life 
in a way that cannot be destroyed anymore. So, so that all came on the back of this Judas betrayal. So the question is, did Judas sell Jesus into destruction or did Judas sell Jesus into destiny? So was his betrayal an act of, of, of um, terror that would destroy the destiny of Jesus? Or was it an act of contribution to the destiny of Jesus? Is it that one was inseparably tied to the other? Is it that the narrative here is trying to get us to understand that when we see contradiction and betrayal through the right lens, it allows us to see that this is bringing to the surface an opportunity for something that will so radically and can so radically change our lives if we will embrace the process that, that, that is dynamic beyond anything we'd ever imagined, but it comes in a way that we would not expect. And it comes in a way that helps to settle the human heart because the question now becomes to us, are our Judases, are our betrayals, are our contradictions that have led to betrayals, are they selling us into destruction or are they selling us into destiny? Maybe that comes down to how we see it. Maybe that comes down to the choice we make surrounding it. Maybe that comes down to whether we're willing to see our life and existence changed. Maybe that comes down to whether we're prepared to let some things die and let some things go and be separated from some things and to believe that on the other side of letting those things go, there is a resurrection. There is a coming alive. And uh, if there's one thing we all want, it's coming alive. We want to come alive. But Judas plays an important role in selling us into our destiny. So as I said to you earlier, the issue is that what if these things, what if the Judas experiences are alerting us to the presence of a greater reality than the one that we currently embrace? And that instead of fighting that, we should actually understand what it is, embrace it, receive it, let faith arise in our hearts and understand that we are not being sold into destruction, we're actually being sold into destiny. So one could quite literally then in the back of that ask the question, who helped Jesus the most to fulfil his destiny from the gospel story? Was it Peter who said, I'll never leave you, I'll protect you, I'll cut the high servants here off to keep these people away, you know, I'll never betray you. And then, of course, he did betray uh, Jesus before the crucifixion. Um, is it Peter who, you know, ah, I'm with you? <clears throat> or is it Judas, this shady, uh, shady figure who Jesus seemed to know from the beginning would not be capable of doing anything but letting him down, betraying him? And uh, being an expression of these contradictions as treasurer, etc., etc., uh, so, so the question, if you could choose one friend, this is really rubbits the road here, if you could choose one friend to join you in your journey into purpose, who would you choose, a Peter or a Judas? Isn't it fascinating that actually the Judas is the one that sells Jesus into destiny? He's the one that accelerates his destiny. And maybe, maybe 
It's the Judas experiences of our lives in those contradictions that have the power and the possibility to accelerate us into our destiny if we'll just understand the Judas principle. I love you, bless you, other things I could say, but I'm going to shut up and I'll talk to you again a little bit later this week. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. If you've been inspired by what you've heard today, then why not email us at info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. We love that you're listening to us and we'd love to hear from you too. Did you know you can also watch all of the talks from Q on our YouTube channel? Just go to youtube.com forward slash qchurchyork. We look forward to having you with us again soon. Until then, enjoy the quest.